Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast definitely not focused on London and the South East. My name is Corey Hazelhurst and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey Corey. We might not be focused on London and the South East, but I'll tell you what is, listeners, and that's the UK economy. We're doing a mini-series on aspects of the UK economy, basically looking at what's gone wrong and can the government put it right. And to do that, Steve, we're going to look at a paper by three people. So there's a couple of economists based in American universities called Anna Stansbury and Dan Turner. And, and the third co-author, Steve, is Ed Balls. Do you remember Ed Balls? Oh, he from Strictly from Dancing. Yeah, I remember. I remember Ed Balls and his wonderful Gangnam style. And the, anyone who saw that is definitely not ever going to forget it. I'm guessing anyone who listens to this show is equally a fan of speeches by Gordon Brown when he was Shadow Chancellor and uh, I was very pleased to see in a footnote of this paper actually it talks about endogenous growth theory and connoisseurs of Gordon Brown's speeches as Shadow Chancellor will remember that I think it was neo-endogenous growth theory that prompted Michael Heseltine to say it's not Brown it's balls. So that was a a real blast from the past in, in all senses. Speaking of the past Britain's had a long-standing problem with economic regional inequality. Uh, And so let's have a quick, which is one of the sort of five problems that the report highlights that we can have a quick talk about, can't we? So uh, essentially, there's a massive problem in the UK with productivity, isn't there? And it feels it's it's different to the 80s. So what the report says, I suppose, isn't it, is that in the 80s, the problem was mass unemployment. So lots of jobs lost in the north, lots of jobs lost, lots of jobs lost in the Midlands, and this has led to a sort of scarring that is still with us. That isn't really what's happening. What's happening, I suppose, instead is that people are that you've still got more people in work. People are working, but less value is being added to the work they're actually doing. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Um, that is the the general gist of it. The 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 old kind of like assumptions about what the root cause of uh, regional inequality are, uh, as you say, have, have always been based around like unemployment or not enough graduates or kind of like there not being enough finance access for, for firms outside the southeast. All of these sorts of things. Um, but uh, the what this kind of like paper does demonstrate is that's not actually accurate for for a lot of for a lot of them. There there are some like um, certain reasons. Like I think it calls out like the north. East doesn't actually have as good access to finance as the rest of the region regions, but broadly speaking, like a lot of the the traditionally viewed kind of like causes of regional inequality, not just in the UK but worldwide, when you're kind of like looking at this sort of thing, don't actually hold much water in modern day Britain. Um, and what it looks to set out to do this paper is kind of work out what the actual causes are, so you can actually fix them and put a policy agenda in place to uh, make sure that they are no longer an issue. Yeah, so there's a few different areas they focus on. Um, education and transport transport infrastructure, research and development. So we're going to talk about those over the next two or three episodes. Um, and what's, what I suppose is, is interesting is, 
I mean, it's we've joked on the podcast about blowing the localism klaxon for a while uh, and about more devolution and knowing that the UK is a very, very centralised country, but I hadn't quite worked out. I hadn't quite appreciated the extent it is mm-hmm. before. So the, the, the other, the sort of main problem in, on the back of that is that it tends to be London and the South East versus the rest. So the stat that I had to read about three times to make sure I understood it and then was staggered. So in 2019, the gross value added per worker in East Germany was 80% that of West Germany. In the rest of the UK, compared to London and the South East, so GVA per worker in the rest of the UK was 71% of London and the South East. So you've got a wider regional economic inequality in the UK that's bigger than the former communist bits of, of Germany, which is just absolutely staggering to me. Yeah, it, it is one of those one of those quite fascinating little tidbits of data, which obviously has some very real-world um, repercussions in terms of what this means for people's livelihoods and, 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 and everything. But it's it's one of those things where, I mean, maybe we'll probably get into this uh, or maybe on some of the, the other, um, other other episodes that we're doing, but there's a... I can't help but feel that one of the reasons we've let it get to this, this point is because all governments of all sorts or like a lot of the debate seems to be focused on either looking back at previous problems and trying to replicate the solutions to them or fantasizing about a Britain that never necessarily existed and and all of these different things and so you've never actually had I'd argue any government actually try and grasp the ball by the holes but grasp the ball by the holes well try and grasp the ball by its holes and that that's one, I, go that's one angry bull you're going to yeah, have. You grasp the bull by its horns and actually try and resolve um, the underlying structural issues that are, that are causing all of this. I suppose, yeah, I, 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 one, I, I suppose one thing the report makes clear is that it's, it's very clear that this is not just a, a conservative since 2016 thing or a coalition thing. It, as you say, this is something that has affected multiple governments over many, many decades. Yeah. I mean, I suppose uh, if there are any Thatcherites listening, and hello to both of you, you could argue that Margaret Thatcher did try and take the ball by the horns and change the economic uh, the economic direction of the country. But actually, one of the things I think the report also says is that, it, it, again, we'll talk about it more in later episodes, I think, but to what extent actually the cure was almost worse than the disease in one sense because again just to go one of the things the report says is that so the way in the, in the west midlands you've got in the 80s the employment share in manufacturing and mining fell 30 points in the 80s in east midlands in yorkshire it's 25 points and and again something which was staggering when you read about it is that the only areas that saw as big a change in their employment makeup were formerly communist areas after the transition to capitalism. And so that sort of, that scarring, as they term it, hasn't really gone away. And that's, I suppose that's one of the things that's on top of these regional inequalities as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a very strong argument to be made that an awful lot of the um, regional inequalities that we, we see today kind of start off as a result of 
Thatcher's policy agenda, which may, on the macro level, may very well have rebalanced the UK economy, but it did it by putting all of our eggs in one basket in London, um, positioning London to do very well out of the knowledge economy, um, but then leaving everywhere else high and dry. But because the, the economy as a whole was doing well, you can kind of sweep the rest under the under the rug and nobody won't, pays too much attention to it. And that's basically kind of what we've ended up doing time and time again since then. Um, it doesn't really matter who the Prime Minister has been, there's always been the notion of um, let's let's try and make, re, re, reinvigorate Britain's economy in the knowledge sector, absolutely the correct thing to do, but without actually focusing policy or finance into areas to help out re- really the um, regions that could benefit the most from it, it just all ends up seemingly going into London and the South East because well, it's a very easy case to make economically because if you put it in there, you know it's going to work. And But then you end up widening that gap over and over and over again. Yeah, I suppose New Labour were quite happy for the knowledge economy in London and the South East to generate a lot of tax revenue, which they could then spend... Yeah. And as you say, it's the fact that London seems to suck a lot of the economic capacity in, isn't it? So one of the uh, the reasons why the paper, one of the reasons the paper gives for the fact that the UK economy is very unproductive is because of underperforming cities. And the two examples it gives, mainly in Manchester and Birmingham. Localism, uh, well, local Birmingham reference tax. Abso- absolutely. Not very obscure. There's, I mean, there's some... There's some and there's lots of graphs in the report, as you might expect from a paper that's uh, about economics. And there's, I mean, some really interesting ones. We look at the population of the city and the sort of the uh, economic performance of the city and the two big outliers in terms of massively being massively underproductive compared to the size are Manchester and Birmingham, which essentially the report says is down to poor public transport, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the one of one of the core kind of like points it it makes um, when comparing the uh, like London in particular and probably the wider southeast in, in, in terms of this because of its very close links to London, both physical and in terms of transport. Um, and when comparing that to like Manchester and, and Birmingham, is it talks about I think it's the the agglomeration effect, where basically if you've got better public transport links, what you can basically do is you expand almost like the economic area of influence of those big cities, which means they are able to grow more, influence wider areas, and have more of an, a wider economic impact in their region and in their area. Um, and fundamentally, because the, the the way that public transport has been handled, one, nationally in general, um, arguably a lot of this, you could say, starts with beaching, um, and mm. just out, which absolutely gutted the, uh, the the railways. And we're now, like, again, in Birmingham as an example, only just looking to reopen some of the lines that were close as a result of that, which have been things that people have wanted to happen for, well, as long as I've been alive, and probably longer. Yeah, an a, a absolutely baffling decision as well. Um, I, I, again, at Birmingham somewhere, bet very, very heavily on the car. Uh, so you've got one of the other things the report says is that road that there's the, the lack of investment in roads is also quite low 
as a form of GDP in Britain, which I was surprised by because... Yeah, it feels like as a, as a country we're very vehicle car centric, um, and uh, yeah, if, if we're yeah, if we're under investing on that, which I mean, when you go anywhere in the UK, and you'll see a load of potholes and, and things like that. But I don't necessarily know if that would be sufficient um, for the sort of investment that they're talking about here. Um, but yeah, it, it does feel very stark that the UK, which is a very car centric place is under-investing in its roads as well as everything else. And then, and it's also then, as you say, it's a lack of investment in public transport. So there's a very small proportion of people in Manchester and in Birmingham who can reach the city centre in 30 minutes. That's despite Manchester having a pretty decent tram system. Um, and, and as you say, but again, Birmingham, I think, tore up its trams in the 1920s, 1930s. I think there's, there's some really tragic maps when you, you you see what Birmingham's tram network was like uh, in the 1910s and you could travel just about everywhere not not just in the city but across the region going to Walsall and uh, other exotic places and and that's just not really that that's that's not there anymore there's a there's a metrolink which sort of works Coventry's trying, trying to do a light rail thing but say uh, if we were going to try and get to Solihull say which is not too far from here uh, you could get a, a bus that stops at you know every post box between here and Solihull. Yeah, it would yeah. take you an hour. So say seventy six. Yeah. To get, to, to get on that. That's a properly obscure yeah, Birmingham obscure. reference. Like, or, or, or get a train and out again. So you need a couple of trains, or you can drive in fifteen minutes. You know, it's yeah. not really a contest. I was, was going to say the seventy six, which but it's not quite right outside my house, but it's like five minute walk away from from my house. Um, one isn't that frequent as a bus. Um, and two to get to Solid Hold hour and a half. Like that. Like when I was looking for jobs, I obviously was looking to see what things existed in Solid Hold. But I ultimately came to the decision that because I don't drive, it wasn't feasible. Like just because it would it would have been an hour and a half each way every day if I was you know working in the office. And and so those sort of failures mean there's less bang for the book yep. essentially. Uh, education then as well is, is something else that's mentioned so we've had the economic inequality we've talked about the scarring effect of the 80s we've talked about the focus on London and the South East we've talked about underperforming cities because of public transport main other issue then is education isn't it so and, and this is where there's lots and lots of graphs and it all gets ever so slightly complicated for people like myself who uh, have master's degrees in history <laughs> Yeah, the, the the monks of Winchester were not known for their graph production, thank heavens. They just wrote about miracles. You see, uh, the, well, weirdly, the uh, tw- uh, interwar governments did have lots of graphs, but they weren't like this. They were primarily about the production of tanks. <laughs> so the authors of the paper use something that they call the graduate wage premium. And they're essentially trying to look across the regions, aren't they, to see, uh, essentially, do the, do graduates get a get more bang for their book and they found that it has increased the graduate rate wage premium has increased over all regions so in that sense the the massive expansion of higher education that we've seen and the 50 you know, percent target on the new labor to try and get everyone to university that has had an impact um but the actually the wage premium for stem skills is still massively big across all regions so it suggests that there's a a, essentially a lack of demand doesn't there for for sort of 
stem well there's there's a lack of stem graduates in the market that and yeah 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 essentially it just means there aren't enough people in those regional markets to um actually fulfill all of the stem roles that that are needed um and yeah it's one of those things where effectively it suggests that there's just not enough take up of stem in general which is quite common of a frame when you're talking about what economic activity um i remember few months back I went along to it was a combination of the, uh, uh, the Great Birmingham Chamber business as well as University of Birmingham I think the, count, um, the well, council was involved in some capacity and it was basically here's the economic data for the West Midlands and Birmingham in particular because obviously it was happening in Birmingham um, all good things do yeah 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 and like one of the key talking points from the discussion from the various speakers um, including uh, Bridget Jones, friend of the podcast, um, who was uh, one of the primary speakers at the event, was focusing on like STEM uh, and how do you, how you bring more STEM investment and more STEM businesses as well into the um, into the region. Uh, and, and interestingly, I think that 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 bit is linked to the what we're going to be discussing about innovation later on, um, where ultimately the money isn't being made available to actually make those sorts of things work in the in the regions um, because it's going elsewhere uh, and as a result if there's no investment in businesses or in universities to innovate technologically or, or whatever there's less com- less companies being created which means there's less demand for stem jobs which means there's less people who want to go into stem like uh, as, 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 as a result and so you only end up with the people who are who are like, oh yeah, I really like science or, or, or whatever. Whilst ultimately, I am someone, for instance, that could have gone into a STEM subject. It probably would have been something like you know, computer sciences or, or something like that. But I absolutely could have done that. But it was never something that was ever pushed towards me whilst I was at school. It was never something that anybody really mentioned to me as a possibility. Um, and it's only in the career that I'm doing now where I go, you know, it would be really good to be able to actually just be able to code something to just do this for me. And that I even start thinking about that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm, like, I was in top set, quote-unquote, for my sciences and things like that at school, but I'm not a science science person in, in that kind of way. I'm not great at math, maths, but I could absolutely have made it work. Um, and really, that's what you kind of need to be able to do is persuade people like me that actually that's the sort of thing I should have been I should have been doing rather than just doing something because I enjoyed it retraining Steve is the answer to all the government's productivity yeah pretty much I just have every job and uh, just you know kill myself in the process I I was I mean there are some leaders like that to be fair but there is um, uh, science was never going to be an area I I went in because I I liked history too much but I I mean did you were you at school when New Labour were trying to do their sort of specialist colleges at things. Our secondary school became a specialist language college. Mine, mine became a specialist performing arts college. Hmm. Yeah. Which is a bit like, okay. No drama. Well, I, I never got to do drama. Which is the, oh. A specialist performing arts college, but because I was in top set for languages somehow, um, I never, I didn't get to do art, I didn't get to do drama, I didn't get to do dance, or all the other things. That was, yeah, sure, you could have acted out in a foreign language and you could have killed two birds with one stone. Uh, sadly not. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, what, what I think is interesting actually about the, 
about the uh, that, that that graduate wage premium is it's it's not it's not even now that London is sucking in all of the graduates from surrounding regions. So when I was graduating, I mean, I graduated in 2008, which is probably statistically one of the worst years you could have graduated <laughs> in history. But I graduated my first year. Uh, yeah, well, okay. can I say I'm old, Steve? That is, it is, yeah, um, I, I just stuck around and did a master's and wrote about monks for a few. <laughs> what was I going to say? Yes, so it, it felt like when I did that that most friends were either sticking around in Birmingham or moving to London and yeah. certainly most I think were going to London to, to seek their fortune like Dick Whittington and and instead so what 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 the paper says now is that essentially London's population would would be falling if you were just looking at uh sort of native the native population for one of a better way of putting it yeah. that essentially graduates are moving out of London and going to other regions uh you can probably think of yeah, which is basically because the London housing market is a mental yes, um, trifle expensive. So the reason why London's population is increasing is because you've got workers who are coming from outside the UK into London who uh, maybe don't notice the fact that the London housing market is that that dysfunctional. I, I thought that was really interesting as well that you've now got. And again, I sort of see some anecdotal evidence of this, of some friends and family who are starting to move out of London just because, essentially because of the housing market, and that can't be good either. No, no, it is one of the, uh, I'd argue it's probably the core issue that is facing London. Um, it is almost getting to the point where it is impossible to actually just rent a room there. Um, and yeah there's going to be a reckoning down there quite in the near future i reckon just where it becomes infeasible for people to actually live there if they if they end up being in a position where they need to move house mm. or, or move flat or whatever they're essentially the problems aren't they so you've got as you say the you've got big inequality between regions you've got underperforming cities because of a lack of investment in public transport you've got a uh a, a sort of an overheated market in London the South East and you've got uh, a lack of, of of STEM skills as well and as you say it's a sort of backlog of various governments and maybe just to sort of I suppose the other thing we could talk about and then use that as a, as a sort of transition to the next episode is just to talk a bit about uh, the, is it the sort of lack of R&D innovation spending as well that's the, the the other sort of core thing that comes out from the report isn't it? Yeah pretty much I mean this is one of the areas where there is a definite you know, it has been identified that this is an issue. One of the few things that kind of like Dominic Cummings, I would argue, kind of got right um, with a lot of his kind of like policy focus was on that blue sky thinking, you know, try create a British version of DARPA, where it's just like we're almost spitballing ideas, but one of those one of those ideas we invest in is actually going to turn out to be the next internet. Uh, and suddenly, well, hey, we're all quids in and every, everybody's happy. Um, but the, the, the kind of the core issue that you have currently, and this seems to happen with every kind of new trench of um, like R&D money that kind of gets put forward by the government, is it goes into what's referred to as the Golden Triangle, which is basically just London, Oxford and Cambridge. Everything goes into that area or, those, or the areas between them, because that's where all of the, like the, the, the 
the, the businesses are. That's where all of the, uh, the, the, the fancy scientists are, because of course only the finest scientists work at Cambridge and Oxford and all of these sorts of things, I ignoring the fact that you've got Birmingham, which has got really good bio biomedical uh, research going on, and including some absolutely wild stuff, right, to do, uh, which I've, I've, I've been told about due to people who probably shouldn't have told me what they were working on, but there's there's no one listening to this, Steve, you can tell us. Yeah, definitely not. Um, uh, maybe afterwards. Um, but there's some absolutely wild research which has been going on in places like, 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 like Birmingham, which is the sort of thing where if it happens and it works, it's just like, holy hell, like, this is absolutely groundbreaking stuff. But it doesn't necessarily get any of the uh, funding that it needs because everything's going to the primary institutions of learning of Oxford and Cambridge. Um, and that, that's something that really as a, as a policy agenda needs to be rectified. Like we seem to have gone into this notion of that everybody, 50% uh, of people should be going to the university, absolutely fine, but then we still seem to be stuck in this notion that, the, that the, there's only a, a handful of good universities when that isn't the case at all. Like at the very least, you should be looking to spread your R and D investments um, to at, at universities and institutions into red bricks, into uh, you know areas that are not just Oxford and Cambridge, because that is actually going to be where you're going to get a much more bang for your buck. Because you're going to hit a wider area, you're going to hit a wider supply of topics, and you're going to get much more uh, higher likelihood of just hitting a bullseye. On, on something that can really boost up the economy, economic productivity. I think, I think that definitely feeds into this idea that it's an investment which is highly concentrated on London and yeah. the South East uh, to the detriment of, of anywhere else. Yeah, although in interestingly there was one area actually where um, for, the, for, the, for the most part that London doesn't have a significant um, advantage over the rest of the region, which is, was overall access to finance and bank lending and things like that. So the report kind of looked into this and basically found that um, for most SMEs out, outside of like, I think it was the north of England and I think, I think it also was the West Midlands, all the other regions were able to get the same amount of kind of like bank loans based on the same criteria. So, I, and, and there is... Uh... I think one of the one of the stats in the report, which is which is cheery actually, is that it talks about the sort of the city. Uh, I think cities cited uh, looking at uh, a sort of algorithm, looking at how how many academics have cited your papers. And most European countries have maybe two, three, four cities in the top hundred, and Britain has nine. So yes, it's Oxford and Cambridge, but also Birmingham, also Bristol, um, and so. It's a good job then that the government is not going to do anything to endanger the future of our universities, which maybe we'll talk about in the next episode because I've managed to leave it on a tantalising note, but also a sad one, which is what we like, isn't it, Steve? It's our very own special kind of cliffhanger. However, if you are now maybe halfway through your commute or your run and you're thinking... But Gadzook, sir, I can't wait another week for this cliffhanger. I'm going to have to listen to it right now. Well, if you won the Champagners, you could have had it straight away, couldn't you, Steve? You could indeed, because we're going to be putting the, uh, the, the next episode up on our Patreon, patreon.com slash 
not enough champagne, uh, where for a few pounds every month you can get access to early episodes like that. You can get uh, unique content that we put out there for our backers as well. Uh, it's just more robust, more all of the time. What 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 could more could you possibly want? Our website's no longer in use. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash not enough champagne. Our Twitter handle is at no champagne pod. James Cram did our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. Dave Depper composed our theme tune for Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting.